The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Uh, today we're going to be having a really fascinating show uh, with Madonna's college roommate. <laughs> Madonna's going to be doing the um, singing at the halftime at the Super Bowl, so this seemed to be a fitting time to have on Whitley Hill, who is the author of a book, a new book, called Not About Madonna, My Little Pre-Icon Roommate and Other Memoirs. Well, I must tell you, I have... It was a page-turner. I would get up in the middle of the night and <laughs> read some of it and then until my eyes got too tired to, to keep them open. But I, I, and then I would go again. I mean, this, this is a fascinating book. It's not like we're not talking about People magazine. We're talking about a really well-thought-out, uh, uh, self-searching, um, behind-the-doors <laughs> kind of description of college and then of the years after. Um, there's actually two, two parts to the book. Um, the first part is sort of the, the college years, you know, the, the, time, um, the times that um, Whitley was able to, uh, it was nine months that um, Madonna was Whitley's college roommate. And so the first part of the book concentrates on that. And then the second part of the book um, is about what happens to both of them as they leave the University of Michigan and go on to um, try to fulfill their dreams. Well, Whitley, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I was saying before we started, I wish I had more than an hour to talk to you because this book is so rich with um, just all kinds of, you know, it's, it's a story of course, a true story, but it's also something that makes you think at every page. It's just so psychological. It's a psychiatrist's oh, thank dream. You so much. <laughs> thank you so much. I worked on it a really long time, I have to say, and uh, it went through you know many different incarnations, and uh, eventually I just started asking myself, well, Whitley, you're a writer. That's what you do anyway. Um, maybe you should just not write the thing that you think everybody wants mm. and write something that you want to write that has some integrity and maybe works on multiple levels and is something you can be proud of and not some kind of schlocky celebrity tell-all. Right. Well, now, you were roommates in 1977, and that's one of my first questions. Um, well, first of all, it's so rich with details. Uh, you talk about how you kept a journal during that time, but one of my first questions is how did you, you know, your journal couldn't have remembered everything. You couldn't have written it all down in your journal. How did you remember it this 
far? Well, I, I do write when I when I write, I am pretty detailed. And uh, but it's funny. It's a funny thing about journals. If you if you write down enough about something that happened to you during the day, you can look back on that ten years later and read it, and the details kind of just fall into place. It's amazing how much you can remember. The other part of that is that you know the journals that I kept during the time we were roommates. That would be the fall of seventy seven through the spring of seventy eight. Um, that was all in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and. After I left school and moved back to New York City, I, I soon after moved back again to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and lived there for many years. And so the places were all very fresh in my mind. I mean, every yeah. place that we went when we were college kids running around the campus, those were all places that I saw, you know, for the next 25 years. So, yes. you know, it was all that, all that de- detail was very visual and, and, you know, alive for me for many years after that. Well, but of course you also have these conversations between you and Madonna that, um, you know, really do seem like you the accurate memories. Yeah, they are. I mean, when you're working in memoir, you, you know, there's a certain amount of filling in that you have to do, and I allowed myself to do that. I think people understand that when you're, recreating a conversation that happened 30-some-odd years ago, you're not going to get every comma and period and the and of and all that exactly right. the way it was. But you do the best you can. And there were things that I, I, conversations that I did write down verbatim. You have to understand, I was a rabid journal keeper, as many college students were at the time. I say were because now people just do all that on their Facebook accounts. Mm-hmm. So. You know, the email and the computers kind of changed the way yes. we put down the the minutia of our lives, um, and and now it's kind of for public consumption. Back then, you had an actual little red notebook yes. that you would pull open every night and spill your heart into and cry on and make the ink run with your tears, um, because yes. I was a very dramatic young girl. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I wrote down a lot of those conversations uh, pretty much verbatim. And, and others, I remembered the scenes. I remembered um, moments and flashes of, of uh, things that we did and moments that we had together, and I would recreate the conversations as accurately as I could. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So I guess the, the, what, <laughs> the obvious uh, other first question is um, what was your first impression of Madonna, and did you could you have ever imagined um, what would happen to each of you um, from that first, you know, the first moment, right. the first week, even? Right. Well, those are kind of two separate things. I mean, the yeah. first memory that I have of her, um, I, which I do write about in the book, mm-hmm. uh, I, I had arrived at at uh, the University of Michigan as a transfer student from another school. We were, I was going to be a dance major in the U of M dance department, which was very highly regarded, and I was really honored to be going there. And some friends of mine, uh, two guys, um, had transferred with me from the same school. And I had given them the, uh, the power to go and find us all a place to live. I was going to follow a little bit later, and I let these guys find an apartment for us. Let me tell everyone, don't ever do that. <laughs> Never let anybody uh, arrange your living situation for you without seeing it in advance. 
because uh, the apartment was not my style, shall we say. It was in a high-rise building, um, really kind of soulless and awful architecture, and I, there was no view out of the window. It was just awful. I wanted to live in a funky college house with um, a cat and uh, a big kitchen and have parties and so on, and it was not to be. I signed the lease without seeing the apartment. And so the guys lived in one bedroom, and I had the other bedroom, and I needed to get a roommate. I couldn't afford to um, to handle it all by myself. And so the guys uh, had been there a few days earlier, and as soon as I got to town, they said, oh, look, we think we found somebody who wants to um, be your roommate. I said, great. And so I went to the dance department, and I remember I was in... Uh, one of the studios, and Joel, one of my one of my friends, one of the other roommates, said, "Oh, she's in the next room. She's taking a class. You can take a look and see. You know, she's in there." So I cracked open the door, and I looked looked through the crack in the door, and and I could see her. Said, "She, yeah, she's the skinny one right there on, against the bar," and uh, and there she was, and she had her leg extended to the front. Now, if uh, for people who are familiar with ballet terminology. A developé is an, an extension of the leg, and it goes either to the front or to the side or to the back. And she had her leg in an extension to the front right at the moment when I looked through the crack in the door. And she was very thin, and she was very muscular, and she had beautiful placement, and her leg was soaring effortlessly to the front. And I was so jealous right away. I was like, I cannot live with a person who's, leg goes higher to the front than mine because that's the way I thought back then as a dance major you were just so competitive with other people and uh, judging yourself constantly about your ability to um, to dance and to perform and to be thin of course that was all important and so that was my first I shut the door and oh yeah she she seems very nice and then she came over that night and uh I just sort of felt like it was a done deal before I even could... I, I mean, I couldn't say no. She was, She wanted the room. She was perfectly nice. And uh, she, she sat on the sofa opposite me, and I'll never forget it. I, I wrote about this in the book. Um, she looked at me and said, You don't look very happy right now, Whitley. What's the matter? And uh, I just stammered something and said, Oh, no, I'm fine. I'm just tired or something like that. And said, Yeah, absolutely, you can move in. And she did. She moved in and... Miracle of miracles, it turned out great. I mean, she ended up being a really good friend and a really nice person. Sort of not um, not entirely what the public might expect. She had some really sweet qualities, and she was very bright and very funny and irreverent, and uh, we became good friends. So uh, the second part of your question about could I have uh, suspected what might have happened with her... Um, I have to say I didn't give it a thought because, I don't know, uh, when you were in college or when the listeners were in college, but I was thinking about myself when I was in college and no one else, and um, I didn't even think about my future very much. I was so embroiled in the day-to-day. And uh, and so, no, I, I didn't sit around thinking, oh, my gosh, this girl is going to become a cultural pop icon. I, d- I didn't think, there. I think that. I, didn't, I was too busy thinking about... Um, what leotard I was going to put on and <laughs> whether I was going to get a good comment from the teacher in the ballet class and and so on. As it as it happened, as as her star rose, uh, so to speak, and she became more and more famous, 
Um, no, I was not surprised because her personality revealed itself to me uh, over the couple of years that we knew each other to be the kind of personality that really wanted fame and was very driven and and really passionate about um, about getting ahead and doing this amazing thing that she did. So, no, I was I wasn't surprised in uh, looking back on it, but at the time, no, I wasn't thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, you write about um, so much fun that the two of you had. I mean, you did so many sort of wild things and and uh, fun things, and and both of you were really hard workers. Um, you know, so devoted to to practicing and to um, to to excelling. Yeah, and, uh, that's true. And it, you know, it's it's just a, a nice. Um, there was such a camaraderie that developed, a really affectionate kind of camaraderie that developed between the two of you. Um, yeah, it, that that did happen. Um, I think I think women do that. I think women are good at that when they're put into situations where they have to live closely together. Yes, yes. Well, we do need to take a break, but we okay. will be back. My guest is um, Whitley Hill. Her book is called Not About Madonna, My Little Pre-Icon Roommate and Other Memoirs. When we come back, we'll uh, hear more about, about what made these women tick and how they tried to figure out um, and make sense of life, love, and art. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. 
Don't Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, taking you behind the doors, the college doors, that is, <laughs> of, of Madonna's uh, college living quarters and her roommate, Whitley Hill, who just wrote a book called Not About Madonna, My Little Pre-Icon Roommate and Other Memoirs. And, of course, that comes from... Uh, <laughs> that comes from your being asked or, or being uh, identified, having that identity as, as Madonna's roommate. So I guess you were trying to make the point. This is not just about Madonna. <laughs> it's about that's right. That's right. I didn't want to write that book. I wanted to write something, just something a little bit richer and fuller and more meaningful to right. add to the dialogue, shall we say? Yes. And of course, one of the things, one of the themes that um, goes through the book is mothers. Um, you know, from Madonna's loss of her mother when she was five years old, her mother died of breast cancer. Uh, her mother was 30 years old. And, mm-hmm. um, and, then, and then later on, her father married uh, the housekeeper, and that, of course, brought out Madonna's uh, rage at him um, and irreverence and daring. And, now, did she, now um, was that before you were roommates or was that after that he married the housekeeper? I believe they were already married because I remember um, both of them coming to visit us, and we all went out for ice cream together. Uh huh. Yes, I think okay. And um, so, I, I mean, do you think um, so? When so, I was talking before the break about how you developed such a um, an affectionate friendship, and I was saying during the break that I think that that there was some mothering going on, and you said more. Um, more Madonna looking towards you to be a mother figure, but in some ways um, I felt that maybe you were, maybe later on in the relationship, that in some ways she was sort of a mothering figure. But um, do you think that the fact that, you know, that her mother died and then she had to be sort of grow up on her own for some years and then her father marrying the housekeeper, which she was not happy about, um, do you think that those things made her more self-reliant and made her more driven um, and irreverent as far as what she would do to reach success? You know, people ask me that, and I, I just don't know. I don't know how much of that was um, hardwired in her mind and her DNA. Um, it, that's what it felt like to me, that this is a person who just really is um, incredibly driven and wants the limelight and wants the spotlight and wants to achieve amazing uh, pinnacles of life. Um, it, it seemed like, to, to me, if you were to ask me that, just um, that's probably what I'd say. But, you know, I'm, no, I'm not the psychiatrist. I don't know how much of it had to do with, uh, with what happened to her as a child. I, I couldn't hazard a guess. I, I just don't know. Well, feeling so powerless in a sense of in terms of what was happening her to her as a child. Um, let's talk about since it isn't about Madonna. Let's talk about your childhood, which was really fascinating too. The child of two actors. Tell us about that. Well, my parents were uh, actually from the South. My father grew up in. Um, rural West Virginia in uh, deepest Appalachia in a tiny coal mining town. He was actually uh, the son of Armenian immigrants who settled in in Appalachia, of all places. My grandfather opened a saloon in this tiny little coal mining town, and he called the saloon the Sanitary Lunch, mm-hmm. and that's where my dad grew up. And 
my mother grew up uh, the daughter of a cotton farmer in in northern Mississippi, and but both of these people um, were kind of gifted theatrically and um, and loved language and were very bright and were kind of recognized by their teachers and nurtured by their teachers and somehow came to New York City to become actors and and they met while doing summer stock and got married and and had me and so. It was kind of an odd way to get to New York, but I was born and raised in New York City, and, which is actually a great place to be born and raised when somebody else is uh, paying all the bills. It was a <laughs> really fun place to uh, to grow up. As soon as I came back as an adult and had to fend for myself, it wasn't quite as attractive to me, and I uh, and I haven't been back to uh, to live since then. Yes, uh, it was a you know it was a, a fun upbringing with lots of uh, theater and art and museums and music and summer camp and you know we weren't wealthy by any means um, but I think I think probably the apartment that I grew up in was probably under a hundred dollars a month for the entire time I lived there uh, through rent control so there was you know the money that my mother didn't spend on rent she was able to. To buy me other things, so. Yes, but they, uh, it was a family of divorce, and which I have to say, everybody in my class was the product of a quote broken home, which I never understood that word. I kind of resented it. I mean, it's my home; it didn't feel broken to me. Um, my dad was very involved in my life, and uh, uh, and and is still very involved in my life. He's a, still a, quite a respected actor in New York. And uh, my mother went on to become a school teacher, and that, of course, is the other part of the story. Yes, um, that's one of the fascinating parts, as I was starting to say, this theme of, of mothers, um, because, well, why don't you tell us about how uh, um, that although Madonna lost her mother to cancer, to death, um, you lost your mother in a different way. Tell us about that, which was at least as painful. Yeah, and it just kind of goes on. I have to say, um, for people who've um, lost a lost a parent this way, it really never goes away. It's very it's very strange. It's very odd. I don't. I may have met one or two other people in my life that have had a similar experience. It's so rare. I've been looking for support groups. If anybody has one, mm. please tell me. Um, in in brief, because it's a kind of a long and convoluted um, story, um, my mother was, um, I was very close to her. I lived with her until I went off to college. We were very, very close, very enmeshed. It was not a healthy relationship, but when you're in the middle of it, you don't know. You don't know that. I sort of saw my mother and myself as being one person in two bodies, and I thought that was fabulous, but when I mentioned that to my friends, they would think they would look at me like I was a little odd, and it was odd. Um, as a mother myself, now I know that's not a healthy way to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, as I I went off to college and kind of grew into my own independence, she became more and more distant from me, and uh, I came back to New York City to uh, pursue the life of a dancer in the in the late 70s and early 80s, and I found myself with child, and um, and I decided to keep said child and to get married and move away from New York. And out of the blue, my mother just 
told me that she would never have anything to do with me ever again. I mean, it's so hard to believe. When I say the words, it's just hard to believe, even now, all these years later, um, that it could have happened because, you know, I just didn't see it coming. And I didn't believe it. I thought, oh, she's just in shock. Of course, she's disappointed that my life isn't going the way she wanted it to go, which was for me to become a famous dancer and choreographer in New York City. And I didn't follow the party line, and uh, but you know she was true to her word, and she's never spoken to me again or seen my children, and it's been a bear of a burden to to walk around with. I mean, I'm I'm a happy person. I've had a accomplished life and a really happy life, and I have a wonderful um, husband and beautiful children, and. My dad and I are very close, and he has remarried, and I'm close with his wife and child. So, you know, life has gone on, and I'm okay. But, boy, is that, uh, is that a burden to carry, to carry around? Because, you know, she's still alive, and yeah. yet she's this person I was so close to and um, devoted to, and, and she will not acknowledge me. I've tried. Believe me, I've tried, and... Well, you write about how um, when you were born that your mother was never quite the same in terms of um, her, that sort of derailing um, her uh, plans to go on and be a more famous actress. Yeah, I, I don't, I assume that there was some of that. I don't, I don't know. I mean, she continued um, theater when I was a child. I mean, I remember being on the subway with her on Wednesday nights uh, uh, in New York City, um, going down to the Jean Frankel workshop down in the village, and I was just a little tiny kid, and um, she'd put a blanket for me down under some grimy stairs and go to her acting class. And uh, I remember summers when she was doing summer stock, and that was fun and wonderful. So I know she, she continued to act, but at some point she stopped, and I, I don't really know why. I'm not sure. Well, you know, so it seems that at that that when she didn't um, blossom, well, then her career didn't blossom into uh, being as famous as she wanted it to be. She was living vicariously through you. You went to the high school of performing arts. You know, mm-hmm. you started young um, acting and dancing, and you know, doing being involved in uh, various arts. And I I think she was trying to live out, hoping that her dream of being a famous artist in some realm um, mm-hmm. would be realized through you and so then when right. you got pregnant and right um, I, she I mean I can I can tell you I do think she was very invested in my being an artist I do I mean I was primed for that my entire life whether that was her goal I, I don't really know I don't know that she had wanted to be famous or not I, I'm not sure about that um, she certainly did turn her back on it and um, and became a, a teacher and a very good one from all reports. Um, but, yeah, I did feel that I was being groomed to be a certain thing. And, you know, happily, I, I conformed. I mean, I, I, do love, uh, I do love the arts. You know, I'm a, I was an actress as a child, and then I, you know, became a dancer and had a dance company for many years in Michigan, and then kind of segued into songwriting, and I've been a songwriter now for, gosh, 10, 10 or 12 years, and live here in Nashville where I perform and write. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's, um, it, that's not a struggle. I love that. I mean, that's a wonderful part of my life. I, I don't know that 
I'm pretty sure I would have done all this regardless of her uh, her pressure. But yeah, it's hard to say. It's hard to say when you're in the midst of it. That um, caused you to follow that. It's just that that seems to have been a turning point. I mean, that was the turning point. That was when when um, you know when she did. Uh, turn her back on you, and because you weren't following right. her plan, yes, absolutely. Was, weren't mm-hmm. weren't going to be living that out for her. Well, we do need to take another break. My guest is Whitley Hill. Her book is not about Madonna, my little pre-icon roommate, and other memoirs. Where uh, we'll talk more about this when we come back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. With Whit Hill, her book is called Not About Madonna, My Little Pre-Icon Roommate and Other Memoirs. And it's just fascinating to see how their lives sort of um, wound around each other. And, and uh, <laughs> Because during these formative years in college, um, you know, when both of them were studying dance at the University of Michigan, uh, and then went on, and you both went on to New York. Now, you were graduated, and she left school early and went to New York, um, but when you came back to New York with, with your boyfriend who you had met in Michigan um, mm-hmm. and then lived with him and then got pregnant by him, right? that was, that was a turning point in, in your life um, because at that point, I mean, not only did we, as we just talked about, did you lose your mother, but um, or lose her, you know, lose her even though she was still alive, she chose to lose you. Um, but it was also, that also 
was the time when Madonna started going in the one direction of, um, you know, seeking fame more and more. And of course, and, and that's when you decided to return, being pregnant, decided to, well, actually you went to Cape Cod first before returning to Michigan. Right. But, um, do you ever, I mean, well, tell us about the, the time that you went and, be, I guess it was when you were still living in Manhattan, right? Or, or Cape Cod, I'm not, I don't remember. But when you went to see Madonna, the last time you saw Madonna. Oh, right. Okay. Um, in the synagogue. Yes. Yeah. In Queens. Uh, yeah, I was living in Soho with my boyfriend. Um, I was not yet knocked up, shall we say, um, with this wonderful child who is the light of my life now and an amazing adult. Um, so, yeah, I was living in Soho, and and I hadn't seen Madonna in a number of, a few months probably. Um, we had We had seen each other socially, you know, several times we'd gone to dance class together, and she was in a piece of mine that we auditioned at Dance Theater Workshop. And You're talking about in New York now, when you were both in New York City. Yeah, we were both, when you were both uh, in New York. Yeah, yeah. I had I graduated from U of M and followed her back to uh, to New York, and uh, so yeah, we'd seen each. We kept the friendship alive, but it was clear that she was going in a direction that I was just so not interested in. I mean, she was talking all, every time I saw her, she was talking about all these clubs that she was going to and singing, and and I just, uh, I was so surprised. I mean, I thought she was a dancer and just wanted to do that, but she seemed to be dabbling in these other areas that I didn't have any knowledge of and I didn't really have any interest in because I'm just so innately introverted and don't like loud noises and <laughs> crowds and bars. Um, that has changed somewhat as I've as I've gotten older, but at the time I was kind of a little elitist dance snob, and uh-huh. I was not interested in going to downtown clubs and and uh, banging my head around with a lot of other people I didn't know. And uh, but anyway, one day she she called me and asked if I wanted to go and see a rehearsal, and a couple of other friends wanted to go too, uh, other friends from college, and. I remember it was really cold. It must have been January or something, but New York City in the winter, oh, man, it is cold, the wind coming around those uh, concrete canyons. And uh, we got on the train, and we headed out to, I guess it was Queens, and the train becomes an elevated train, and just looking at the city and the, the gray griminess of the city and the landscape going by, and we got off. I can't even remember where it was, and... Uh, and walked a long way through these kind of rubbled streets to this old synagogue. And it was obviously not a working synagogue anymore. And we knocked on the door, and, and she comes to the door of this synagogue and opens the door, which is surreal in itself. Mm-hmm. And we walked into the sanctuary of this beautiful old house of worship. This place was old. It looked like maybe from the 1800s or something. And we sat on some folding chairs, as I recall, and there was a you know a full um, set up band set up and a couple of guys and at first at first she played drums, I think, and then she sang um, and boy, we just sat there watching her, and she was so different, she was doing this really different thing, she was singing and playing drums and gyrating all over the place and um, and I just felt like, wow, she has she is going in a completely other direction and I don't know where she's going and I'm not sure what we have in common anymore. Um, 
you know, gone were the days of dancing in a studio to a, a Bach partita together. And, uh, and I don't know, I just kind of didn't recognize her anymore. And I think that was probably the last time I saw her, you know, outside of the media. And you talk about it and you admit in your book, you're, you know, it's really, you're, you express yourself very honestly in the book, and you talk about feeling jealous um, at that last time that you saw her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people ask me that a lot, you know, are you jealous? Or, because they make, people like to make assumptions about what artists all crave and want. And, you know, it's, it's hard to, um, to describe that accurately. I mean, for me, all I've ever wanted out of my, out of my work is um, to do the best work I can and to be able to, to be comfortable and have the respect of my peers. I've never been one to, uh, to thirst after meteoric fame or anything like that. It's just I'm, I'm so... Um, I'm just a really quiet person. And, um, and anyway, yeah, but I, I did talk about that in that section. And I think what I felt, what I was feeling at that moment was not necessarily that I was jealous of her being, uh, oh, she's going to be a rock star and I want to be a rock star. No, I was on a, I was on a different path. But what I was, what, what I did envy was her confidence and her drive and her ability to just get up there and 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 do what she wanted to do without overthinking it and um, second guessing it and and cutting her own self down the way dancers so often do i mean her her talent and is as much about her power as as about her talent i mean there's musical talent obviously and she's uh you know she's a forced to be reckoned with, but so much of it is about the confidence and the power, I mean, as, as far as I can tell. So I think that's what I was referring to in that, when I talked about jealousy and at that moment that I was really trying to paint the, the picture of what that felt like, because that also felt like a, a crossroads, like, wow, I don't know if this person is my friend anymore. I mean, she's friendly. It's not like she was being unpleasant to me. I mean, she had invited me there, but it was almost like she invited us there to be seen mm-hmm. so that her friends, her dance friends would know, you know what, I'm leaving. I'm mm-hmm. leaving you. I'm leaving what you're doing, and I'm mm-hmm. going in this other direction. Mm-hmm. Well, and when you talk about at the University of Michigan, even when you first met her, um, that she seemed to have this, need to have everybody's attention on her and this ability to get it wherever you went you went to a club you went to a uh just in your in the in the place that you were living the four of you wherever you were there seemed to be this this need and this ability that she had to get the grasp suck out the attention of everyone yes absolutely true and anybody who knew her at that time would would nod and smile and say absolutely. <laughs> that was really clear. It was kind of amazing to watch. I mean, it's it was just kind of organic. Um, that switch would be thrown, and you know, you might as well just go sit in the corner because uh, that she was going to be the center of attention. And so, even in college, you were somewhat jealous sometimes about. Even the first night that you met her, actually, you talk about that. That when she said, you know, you don't look happy um, or pleased or. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was. I think it was the 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 beginning sense of what life with her was going to be like. Even right. though it was a lot of right. fun and adventurous. That's true. And, and if it had only been that, 
it would have been unbearable for me. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't only that. There were so many other kinds of moments with her, um, really fun, um, interesting conversations, a lot of caring, a lot of sort of soft girliness and snuggling up together on the couch yes, and talking about music and poetry and and guys and and trying to figure out life and trying to figure out men and and sex and you know this amazing freedom that we'd been granted as uh, you know sort of the next generation after women's lib and what were we going to do with this freedom did we even want all this freedom i mean it was it was so much to uh to try and untangle and she was a really good person to have those conversations with and she could be very caring um and generous and uh and and sweet um so you know i'm i don't know her anymore and you know haven't for many years and you know whether that side of her is still there i i, I couldn't even speak to but i would i would assume it is well let me um just read a little bit from your Christmas letter. You had gone away. This is during uh the December of this year when you were roommates. Um, right. And you had gone away during Christmas vacation and she stayed in Michigan and when you came back there was this six-page or seven-page letter that she had written to you every day she she added yeah. more to the letter. Yeah. It was and, like a diary. Yes. And so she wrote I'm just picking out a section here. Um she wrote, Miss your lovely face. Well, my little cabbage, I think this is the last of my literary tributes to you since you will be home in two more days, and I think I can remember to tell you the rest. I think of you almost every moment and miss your warm kisses and sweet caresses. I wonder what you're doing and how you're feeling at all moments of night and day. Today was the first day of school, and I was thoroughly depressed and discouraged. Gone were the days of tension-free, pressureless, non-competitive classes with Gay and Liz over vacation. After the first plie in Flynn's class, I could feel the tension and rigidity flowing through my body. The pre-class chatter and acknowledgement of tans was wearing on me, and I felt worthless in every class. And then she goes on. So, yes, you used to call each other um, sweet, sweet, let's see, my little bowl of bear mush. <laughs> That's right, bear mush. Bear mush. I, I'm and not sure your, they still have bear mush. It's a, a kind of whole wheat cereal that we <laughs> that we cooked, and so yeah, we we kind of tried to outdo ourselves with endearing names. <laughs> and you know, it's, I, I don't know if you did this purposely. It seems like you did it purposely, or maybe it's unconscious. But the pictures that you have in your, on the cover of your book of both you and she. Look very much alike. Did you do that on purpose, or was that inadvertent? Ah, uh, I'm trying to remember what's on the cover. I don't have it in front of me. Uh, the <laughs> well, front is the front is the picture of her of dresses, against the brick wall, little... right? What? And and the back is a studio shot of me um, that was not taken for this book. Well, but you're both wearing print dresses. Short oh, I hadn't print... thought about that. <laughs> short little print dresses with V-necks. Um, you know, colorful little prints. Your hair, uh, even though she's blonder, I guess, um, still your hair is about the same. You look so much alike. That has never occurred to me. That's funny. I, I'll have to look at that again. Yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. not occurred to me. <laughs> and which is so interesting because, I mean, I was thinking that this is a book that should be required reading, like in the high school or performing arts, um, when people think about. 
fame and the sacrifice for fame and do they really want to like you talk about the auditions in new york where you're number 449 or something and right um there are so many dancers in new york and it's so hard to make it as a dancer in new york and are there other aren't there other things that you wanted to do in your life um besides <laughs> get going to all these auditions right and so it's, right. it really brings up this whole issue of um, of of reaching for fame and what is that worth and and making these kinds of decisions, I think it would be very useful for um, schools. You know, like yeah, the high school. Yeah, performing I agree. I would... for all for acting classes for all uh, dancing classes. You know, I completely of... agree, Doctor Carol. I think everyone should buy it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we need to take another break. My guest okay. is Whit Hill. Her book is called Not About Madonna. My Little Pre-Icon Roommate and Other Memoirs. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with Whit Hill, who wrote Not About Madonna, My Little Pre-Icon Roommate, and Other Memoirs. Um, fabulous, fabulous book. You know, in our fame-obsessed society, even if you, well, everyone sort of has some kind of, uh, well, most people, I will say everyone, but most people have some kind of craving to either become famous or to become an artist, a writer, or a dancer, or a singer, or, you know, some creative art and to be appreciated for it. And um, you really, you know, telling this through storytelling, true storytelling, you really bring out all of these uh, sides of of wanting to be an artist and uh, and doing it in different ways. I mean, Madonna did it in the um, <laughs> climbing up the the ladder, come hell or high water route, and you did it finding it not so much in, let's say, New York or in as famous a way, obviously, as Madonna. But you, it's interesting how you got to do even singing, like you were saying before, um, singing, songwriting. In a sense, you got to do all of these things um, and combine it with 
um, what, a more, like you were saying about uh, having kitchens and cats and, <laughs> you know. Right, yeah, uh, I like that domestic stuff. Yes, um, whereas, you know, Madonna's career took her in a different direction. So, and um, you're honest about how, the, I mean, there were times when, for example, when you were the head of a uh, dance troupe for 15 years or so, um, and struggling in in uh, um, Michigan, and how the people on your de- board would say, "Don't you want to contact Madonna and uh, you know see if she would contribute something to help the dance troupe survive?" And you never did, which actually no, that's not my admired. style. I couldn't, I couldn't do that. That would now, have been really painful that, for me. Oh, I wanted to ask you this: Do you know if she has seen read your book? I don't know. I. You know, when people ask me that, Madonna is so busy, I would imagine she's got all these children, God bless her, um, you know, for, for you know, being such a, a family person, that's wonderful, and all the work she's doing in, in Africa, and not to mention directing and music and so on, I mean, I'm not sitting around worried that she's going to read my book and try and shut me down. I mean, I, there's no reason she no, would. That's not, I, I wasn't thinking of it that way. Um, right. Actually, I was thinking that maybe she would uh, be find it endearing and, and want to reach out to you just to sort of rekindle the friendship. Um, I don't know. I just don't know. It's not, it was certainly not my intention. It, this isn't like a, a, you know, a message in a bottle trying to get <laughs> Donna's attention at well, all. Is, I mean, obviously. That's what I wanted to say. Why now? What made you finally put all of these journals and memories together now? Well, it isn't now. I mean, the now part is just that the book came out, um, that it was published um, late last year. But I've been working on this book for about 20 years. Wow. I started writing it literally about 20 years ago. Um, a friend of mine said, uh, you know, I had been contacted over and over by the media asking for me to make a comment for a magazine article or to be on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And, you know, so I was doing these interviews and feeling kind of like really kind of uncomfortable about it. Um, they weren't on my terms. I didn't get to tell the stories that I wanted to tell. Um, it just felt kind of wrong. I didn't enjoy it at all. And uh, and this uh, and the other part of it is uh, you, when you're trying to make a living as a in the arts, you have to have a, a day job. And my d- day job has always been writing. I've always made my living nuts and bolts as a writer. It's been my waitressing job, as it were. And I've been a journalist, and I write about the arts, and you know, pretty much anything people ask me to write, if they're going to pay me, I will write it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so this friend of mine said, you know, you're a writer. Why don't you just write a book? And I swear it had never occurred to me. And I sat down and started playing with it. And and I went, wow, this this might this might be fun. And I would work on it for a year, and then I'd not work on it for five years. And then I had an agent for a while who tried to shop it around. And everybody was kind of thrown off by the Madonna angle and didn't understand why it wasn't a celebrity tell-all. Mm. and couldn't wrap their minds around the fact that it could be a literary memoir um, that could have some beauty and integrity to it and still have this giant, massive celebrity uh, prominently displayed in it. Mm-hmm. So it didn't go anywhere, and then I kind of once again gave up and didn't... You know, believe me, I've been so busy with other things, with moving to Nashville and writing songs and, and pitching songs and getting songs out there and... 
I've just been super busy. But then this uh, publisher, who uh, turned out was an old friend of mine that I reconnected with, and she took one look at it and took a chance on it. Bless her. And uh, that's uh, Naomi Rosenblatt at Heliotrope Books in New York. And uh, she just took it and said, yeah, this has got to see the light of day, and, and the rest is history. And what kind of, um, I mean, you have fabulous reviews of it. Um, What kind of, have you gotten any negative reactions? I cannot say that I've gotten any negative reaction. I'm trying to think. Um, Certainly no printed reviews. Um, uh, Every now and then there's, uh, in the midst of what's basically a really positive review, somebody will try and add a little snarky comment about the fact that I use Madonna's name in the title. Well, is it about Madonna or is it not about Madonna? And, you know, my feeling is, you know, I guess you'll just have to read it and find out. <laughs> well, I've, any, what about are you going to be trying to make it into a movie? I'm not. You know, people say that to me all the time, and I think, well, there's no chase scene. How could it be a movie? It would be a great movie. I mean, I, I don't know what. Yeah, the, I guess I don't know. It, I don't know if it has that kind of uh, dramatic arc. Um, yeah, I mean, I have friends who are all over it. Like, you've got to make this movie, and well, let's. <laughs> well, uh, we're just okay. getting started. I mean, this book just came out, and uh, it's just getting out into the world. And if that's meant to be, then uh, we'll just take it as it comes. But you know, as for now, I'm just hoping people. We'll check it out. Um, it's obviously available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and any place on the Internet that you um, choose to buy your books. Uh, here in Nashville, um, it's available at Parnassus Books, which is one of the few remaining independent bookstores left in town. Uh, it's available in Ann Arbor, Michigan, of course, where it all began, at Nicola's Books. And, uh, yeah, and the rest of uh, the availability is on the Internet. People can learn more about it on my website, which is withill.com. That's W-H-I-T-H-I-L-L. And we have a Not About Madonna Facebook page that um, every now and then I'll throw in some extra journal entries that didn't make it into the book mm. and, and uh, some extra stories that didn't make it into the book, and I'll put those up on the Not About Madonna Facebook page and everybody mm. talks about it and, and so on. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's getting out there. Well, you know, as a psychiatrist, first of all, obviously I found it extremely interesting, as, I, as we've talked about, but also I think it's such a contribution, um, you know, to, to people who are in the arts or contemplating going in the arts from high school on up, um, and, and it would be, make a great speaking tour as well to these kinds of people, because it really brings this whole issue out, you know, this comparing the two of you and which... Which life would you like, and which right. you know, what choices yeah. would you make, and all kinds of things like that? I, I just think, um, I just think, uh, you know, it's 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 such a beautiful and so, so written in such an interesting and fun and yet sophisticated way. Um, so let me give out the 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 website address again: withill.com, and that's spelled W H I T. Hill, H-I-L-L dot com. Go to right. Witt's website and um, look at all the things that she's done. She's an incredibly accomplished person on her own right. And, Thank you so um, much. Two, two albums out. I mean, just everything. Um, and please go buy the book because it will, it will wake you up in the middle of the night, making you continue to read it as well. And <laughs> Witt, thank you so much for being a guest. I wish you all kinds of luck with this. 
Thank and, you so um, much, Dr. Carol. I really appreciate your interest, and I'm so glad you contacted me, and I just can't thank you enough. Oh, well, you're very, very welcome. And thank you all for listening. Again, it's withill.com, W-H-I-T-H-I-L-L. And, uh, uh, and the book is Not About Madonna, My Little Pre-Icon Roommate and Other Memoirs, available on Amazon. Absolutely. Go for it. <laughs> Not anything like you're going to read in, in, in any kind of celebrity magazine. It's, That's uh, right. It really That's gets, right. It's really real. So thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 